there's anything that will make uh, 2024 a year to remember, it's daily confessing that truth. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Children's Church can be dismissed at this time. And uh, for those who are staying up here, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, just looking at verses 6 and 7 this morning. And uh, obviously, we'll, we're not in Mark. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark um, since the beginning of last year, and we'll pick it up on the, I guess, the 14th of January. And so we'll try to conclude Mark chapter 10, I believe we're in, um, and then just continue through for the rest of the year. But today... Um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, it was actually Christmas morning. I was driving down the road to uh, my grandparents' house, and I was just thinking about um, the, the day we had on Christmas Eve celebrating uh, Christ, and I was thinking about this coming Sunday, and uh, I, I just started thinking about this verse for some reason, and uh, that's what I'm going to preach on this morning. So I do hope it's a help to us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read it again, verses 6 and 7. It says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Let's have a word of prayer. And as I pray, I would ask that you pray as well, that God would speak to our hearts today as we look at his word together. God, we are thankful again for the time that we can gather. And I do pray now, God, that as we spend the next little while looking into your word, that you would that you would use this passage of Scripture, God, to, to set our hearts once again on you. God, if we're honest, and we think over the last year, there have probably been many times where our hearts have been set on lesser things, where our desires have, have not been for the eternal but for the temporal, where our feelings are what dictated our lives rather than the truths of your word. And God, I pray this morning that as we look to this passage and we look really through the New Testament into the life of the Apostle Paul, that we would understand the, the determination that he lived with to, to glorify your name in life or in death. God, I thank you for the confidence that he exudes in these verses as he's coming to the end of his life. God, I pray that that would be our desire as well, not just as it pertains to the end of our lives, but maybe for the end of a year, that we could look back and say, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. And God, maybe, maybe we need to strive to say this at the end of every day. I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. For certainly, if we ever hope to say these words on our deathbed, then they must be words that we strive to say day in and day out. So God, I pray that you'd use your word this morning to challenge us, to convict us, to change us, to draw us closer to yourself and to make us more like your son. God, may your spirit have free course in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Each year as one year comes to a close and another one opens, I find myself thinking about all that's happened over the past 365 days. Another 8,760 hours have gone by, and that equates to 525,600 minutes, which are made up of 31,536,000 seconds. And I shared that number with Noah this morning. He said, that's a lot of time. And I agree. 
And oftentimes, as we find ourselves thinking through things like this, we think about the fast-paced nature of the world that we live in and how fast time is flying by. And I think as we think about a year, it's good for us to stop at the end of a year and say, what did I do with what I was given? If you think back to January 1st of 2023 and you think of today, December 31st of 2023, there's a lot of time that has gone by. There's a lot of events that have happened, both on a a world scale, a, a national scale, and a personal scale. There's many things that have transpired or taken place, and honestly, we've probably forgot some of what has happened. Would you agree with me? And it's not until we stop and reflect that we really begin to remember what all has taken place. We often talk about time with the idea of where did the time go? And it does seem to some degree that the older we get, well, the older you guys get, because I'm not aging, uh, the faster time seems to go by. And in reality, if we're not careful, we can use that as an excuse as to why we didn't accomplish things that we should have accomplished. Have you ever made that statement before? I just ran out of time. I just didn't have the time. But isn't it true that you have time for what you make time for? You have time for what you make time for. And so as we go through this passage today and as, as we think through the New Testament, my prayer is that we would take a look back on our lives, not so that we could feel bad or not so that we could leave on this euphoric high of, man, I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish, but so that we could move forward in a way that God would desire for us to move forward in. One of the ways that I like to remember a year that's gone by is to pull up my phone and look at pictures. Anybody else like to do that? Now, I, I didn't realize I had this many pictures on my phone until I started studying for this week, but I have, I think it's over 46,000 pictures on my phone, which is foolish. And a lot of those are screenshots that my kids take of games that they play, and they all go to this shared album. So I got to weed out some of those. But for me, pictures on my phone is almost like a journal or a diary that I've kept throughout the year. And so this afternoon, I'll probably spend some time going back to January 1st of this year and slowly looking through the events that have taken place and remembering not just the good things, but the hard things and the difficult things and the trying things that God has brought us through, that God has brought me through. And I pray that it causes me to spend some time rejoicing in the faithfulness of God, but also in preparing for the year ahead. As I said, I'm not much on New Year's resolutions, but I think we should all make a resolution that in the year that is coming, we will determine to live for the Lord whatever comes into our lives, that we'll choose to put Him first above everything else, that we'll choose to make Him our highest priority instead of what our flesh craves and desires in our moments of weakness. And so I would ask you this morning, what did you do in this last year? Certainly, we could all think of the fun things that we did, the things that were, were hard, maybe that stick out the most. We can even think of things that were painful. We could all tell stories of how things didn't go as planned, and sometimes that worked out for the good, and sometimes it didn't seem like it worked out for the good. But regardless of what took place, as we think through everything that happened, I think a better way to process the year behind us is to simply ask the question, how did I steward this last year? How did I steward this last year? 
in the victories? Did I steward them for the glory of God? In the trials, did I steward them for the glory of God? When life made no sense, did I steward those moments for the glory of God? Or did I sulk in my misery as we are so often prone to do? How did I steward the year that's behind me? And I think in asking that question, it will set us on a course of victory to steward the year in front of us in a God-glorifying way. The big idea this morning is this. Looking back with the right perspective is a helpful way to move forward in the right direction. In this text, we see that Paul, the dearly beloved apostle to the Gentiles, was understanding that his life was coming to an end. This was not simply a year in review for Paul, but it was a life in review. And as he's thinking about all that had happened and all that had transpired and every trial that he had passed through, we see that he was dying with confidence. And what a gift that was for him to be able to say on his deathbed, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And as I said a few moments ago in my prayer, this was not some last-minute effort of Paul to, to fix things at the end of his life, but he could say this with confidence at the end of his life because he strived to live this way each and every day of his life, that he desired to live for the glory of God above all else. And as he looked over all that God had done and all that God had brought him to and through, he determined not in self-confidence and not in arrogance, but by the grace of God that he had fought a good fight. He'd finished his course and he had kept the faith. I was talking with somebody recently about a 360 review. Anybody ever heard of this? 360 review? So a 360 review is basically you, you partner with somebody and they ask you about your work history, your past, and then they send a survey to, to your current employer. Um, they send a survey to your current peers and those who work under you. But then they also send the same survey to those in your past. So previous bosses, previous um, peers, and previous um, people who worked under you. Now, as, as he was telling me about this, I said to myself, that sounds scary right off the bat, right? Because what are you probably going to find in that review? That you're not all that you've cracked yourself up to be, right? Sometimes in personal reviews, we... We do ourselves a disservice because we don't actually look at who we really are. We look at who we perceive ourselves to be. Does that make sense? We don't actually say, man, this is one of my weaknesses. This is a blind spot to me, and this is a strong point. And, and instead of giving ourselves a two on a scale of one to five, we're typically going to give ourselves a four to five in everything that we review ourselves over. But this 360 review, it opens the door for many people to voice their opinions about who you are, how you lead, how you work, uh, the type of person that you are in, in personal areas, in, in business areas, and it really gives you a clear understanding of who exactly you have been in this field that you have worked in. Now, to be fair, could somebody take this review and fill it out with a personal vendetta against you? Certainly they could, and so everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. But one thing that I have tried to do, and this is... Um, what this person was seeking to do as well is to take every bit of criticism and understand if there is any amount of truth in it. 
Because oftentimes, when we're criticized, what do we like to say? They don't know what they're talking about. Who do they think they are? For me, this past year, I, I had tried to do this in a more intense and personal way, and it opens your eyes to understand your shortcomings. Now, is it good to live in our shortcomings? No. But do we need to have an understanding of our shortcomings? Certainly we do. Because if we don't understand our shortcomings, we're never going to grow. We're never going to change. And so as we think about our year in review, as we think about 2023, maybe it would be wise for us to do a 360 review, to gather some people that we trust, some people that we love, and send them a survey and say, how do you think I did in these areas? What type of person would you label me as in these settings? And then take the feedback that they give and grow from it. And the best one to do a 360 review with would be the Spirit of God. And say, God, where in my life am I not what I should be? Where in my life do I think I am spiritually mature, but in reality, I'm a spiritual baby? Where in my life have I, have I clung to self-righteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ? Where in my life am I too sensitive or, or over-hardened, so to speak, or become callous? God, where in my life do I need to change? And I think that as we do that, and if we do that, we will find that God reveals to us areas in our lives where He desires to mold us and shape us and remake us into His image. Because I don't know if you know this or not, none of us are perfect yet. But God desires to make us perfect in His time and in His way. And if we never open ourselves up to understanding the real us, the us that God sees and understands, then we'll never be changed into his image like he desires on this earth. And so my prayer is that today, that you would take some time. Maybe it's on your ride home from church. Maybe it's when you get home and you put the kids down. Maybe it's after everyone's in bed tonight that we would just simply stop and say, God, over this year, as I think back over everything that I've faced, over everything that I've experienced, what did I steward well and what didn't I steward well? God, what in this year have, have you been trying to get my attention in that I would change to be more like your son, Jesus Christ? God, how can I move forward in 2024 being the person that you have desired for me to be? As we go through these few verses today, this is going to be a little bit unusual for me as far as a sermon goes. We're going to have a lot of other texts that we'll look at, and Noah's got a lot of pressure on him in the sound booth. We went over this. If this sermon flops, it's not because of me. It's all because of him. Um, so just understand that now. And we're only going to stick to passages of Scripture that Paul wrote. Because he spoke these words. He, he, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so I want to go through some of his life and understand why is it that he could say what he said as he found himself contemplating the end of his life. I pray that we too would be able to say these words as we come to the end of our lives, as we seek to live for God's honor and his glory. The first thing that Paul says is he fought a good fight. He fought a good fight. 
Unfortunately, much of Christianity over the years has been fighting the wrong fights. Do you agree with that statement? The wrong fights. Fundamentalism fought over standards and styles and changes. And for some people, the perfect church was founded not with Jesus Christ, but in the 70s. And that's where the church needed to stay. Bible versions and song choices and clothings are topics of many sermons. And while these things can certainly be talked about in the broader Christian circles, these things are not the main thing. It's a sad reality, but churches don't collapse because of external pressure from the world, but they often collapse because of fighting from within. That instead of giving grace to our brothers and sisters, instead of focusing on the main thing, instead of making the gospel the flag that we fly, we have made so many other things that flag, that, that hill that we're willing to die on and wanting to die on. And if anybody sees anything in a different way than we see it, what do we perceive them as? An enemy. Even if they sit in the same church building. And that's a sad reality. It's a sad reality that amongst God's people, amongst those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, we have made our preferences the things that we fight over instead of the gospel the thing that we fight for. When Paul said that he fought a good fight, he didn't mean that he could plow over his opponent's opinions when it came to their standards or preferences as he articulated his own, but he was talking about the fullness of the Christian life that he lived. Paul said, I fought a good fight. And part of that fight was subduing his own flesh through the power of the Spirit so that he could live for the honor and the glory of God every single day of his life. And oftentimes these fights within the church arise because our preferences are not being carried out or fulfilled and, and it puts us in a bad mood. And so we then go with a personal vendetta against those who have a differing opinion and we cause the church to be split. I was reading a post the other day of this pastor who, who had just gotten let go from his church. It was a very sad situation. And in a pastor's group, he listed all the things that he was looking for in a new church that he would go and be a member of. And he basically said, if these things aren't there, then I'm not going. And do you know what most of the things were on the list? Personal preferences that he was clinging to above everything else. Friends, I've got nothing wrong with personal preferences. And, and just to let you on, in on a little secret, not everything at our church is even the way that I would want it to be. This isn't my church. This is God's church. Not everything has to be done according to my desire or my preference or my will. But we do what we do for the good of the greater body. And so as Paul is thinking over the end of his life and he makes this statement, I have fought a good fight, he again was not thinking about his fighting with other Christians, but rather his fighting for other Christians. He was not thinking about fighting with the world because the world was attacking the church, but he was talking about fighting for the world when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ, going to them so that they could understand the power of salvation and the only name by which they could be saved, which is who? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul 
fought for. Certainly, if you read through the book of Romans, you read through some of his pastoral epistles, you'll understand that Paul was very keen or aware of doctrinal ideas and the necessity for purveying these things to future generations. But Paul didn't get entangled with the affairs of this life. He didn't try to push his preferences on other people, but rather he kept the main thing the main thing. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 4 through 6, listen to what Paul says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. What does Paul say in the beginning of that passage? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So what does that mean? That a true soldier, a true warrior of Jesus Christ is fighting for eternal things. Not fighting for the temporal, not fighting for the now, not fighting to appease themselves in the situation that they've found themselves in, but they're fighting for the eternal because they understand that is what matters. And so as Paul is declaring his mission in 2 Timothy 2, he's saying, I'm not going to get entangled in the mess that's going on around me, but rather I'm going to be looking to the future and fighting for those things which will last forever. What does Paul tell us? Lay not up for yourselves. Or Jesus says this actually. Treasures upon this earth, but lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. And as Paul understood the words of Christ, he sought to live those things out for the honor and glory of God. And so he fought a good fight. Now, we understand Paul. He had a hard life. And even in this passage, he alludes to some of that. If you look at verse number 14, we're not given much information on this situation. But what does he say? Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. What is the evil that Alexander the coppersmith did? We have absolutely no idea. But what do we understand? That he did him much evil. He treated Paul very poorly. He, he was not kind to him in some way. He, he offended Paul in some manner. But what did Paul say? Instead of entangling myself in the affairs of this life, who will I trust this situation to? God. God is going to reward him according to his works. And so in personal injury, in personal uh, trials, Paul gave those things to the Lord so that he could focus on the main thing, which was declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in need. Paul says, no man is going to distract me. No man is going to pull me off task. No man is going to pull me off mission. I'm giving these things to the Lord, and the Lord will deal with them in a just and right way. I will fight a good fight for the glory of God. This was the heartbeat of Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, kind of a lengthy passage, the Word of God says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me, Indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted 
loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? In verses 1 through 4, He encourages the believers at Philippi to be faithful and he sets up this idea of self-boasting. And from this passage, we understand what? That Paul had a law he could have boasted in. The pedigree that God gave him in verses uh, 5 through 7, it speaks of the upbringing that he had, the the, the the accomplishments that he had made. But then in verses 5 through 14, what does Paul do in that passage? He says, I count all of those things as dung. Why? So that I could know Christ more deeply and serve Christ more passionately. So so what is Paul saying? That he was going to fight a good fight. Paul said, I'm not boasting in myself. I'm not making myself the center of attention. I'm not making myself the thing that I'm living for, but I'm making Christ the thing that I live for. I'm making Christ my highest priority, my highest goal, my highest aim, that I will fight for His name, that I will fight to make His name known in this world, and that I will fight through the power of the Spirit to have myself look like Him. I'm fighting a good fight. We see that Paul does this in personal attacks with Alexander the coppersmith. We see that Paul does this in his own self-will as he subdues his flesh and, and lifts up the name of Christ. But we also see that Paul does this in physical trials. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, the Bible says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, Paul said, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And so Paul determined to fight a good fight in personal attacks with Alexander the coppersmith. He determined to fight a good fight. When his flesh flesh was rising up, he subdued it through the power of the Spirit. And he determined to fight a good fight when trials and tragedies came into his life. One of the things that has encouraged, encouraged me most greatly this year has been watching some of you go through some of the deepest trials that you've ever faced in your life. Not in a sick and twisted way, like, man, I like seeing people go through trials. But because your faith has shined. 
Your, your love for the Lord and your desire to please His name in everything that you've gone through has flourished. And there has been spiritual growth this year in ways that I have never seen before in some people's lives. Do you know why that comes? Because you determined to fight a good fight. That come what may, you would keep Christ as your highest prize. That, that you wanted to win Christ, as Paul said, that you would rest in his, his, his glory, even if it meant suffering coming into your life. Paul says, I take pleasure in the infirmities that I face in my life, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, not because I was a jerk, but I take pleasure in these things as long as they're for Christ's sake. Because it's when I went through trials and rested in Him that I found my true source of strength. And so I would ask this this morning, have we fought a good fight? In the things that you faced this year, have you fought a good fight? In the things that you've gone through by way of trial and tragedy, have you fought to make the name of Christ preeminent in, in every one of those things? Have you fought to learn what He is seeking to teach you as you went through circumstances in life where you did not know the outcome? Paul faced many of those things. And as he determined to live for the glory of God, God gave him the strength to fight a good fight. Maybe for you it wasn't so much physical trials, but maybe it was simply distractions. We've already said it wasn't all of the 2020 so far full of distractions. Things that could pull our minds off of what is eternal and, and cause us to fixate on what is temporal. Maybe it was a political realm. Maybe it was social things that were happening around you. Maybe it was even family situations that were stressful. Will you determine in the year ahead to, to not, not pay attention to those things, but to not make those things your highest priority? Maybe for you it was jealousy or bitterness or a spirit of unforgiveness or resentment. Would you let go of those things for the year ahead so that you can fight a good fight in 2024? It's interesting as we think about life in comparison with eternity because everything we face right now always seems to be a big deal, doesn't it? But what's the biggest deal? standing before Jesus one day. And so how am I stewarding the things that God has brought into my life? How am I fighting a good fight in the now so that when I'm on my deathbed like Paul was here, I can say with confidence, I have fought a good fight. The second thing Paul says this morning <clears throat> is that he finished his course. What was your course for 2023, and did you finish it? I, I have enjoyed the last couple of years, again, not setting New Year's resolutions. Maybe they are, and I'm just not calling them. I don't know. But setting personal goals for, for a year ahead. I've enjoyed seeing that come to fruition in my own life. I've enjoyed seeing that come to fruition in our church and see 
seeing how God has done what only God could do in certain places and in certain areas. And as we think about the year ahead, probably each of us already have some plans made. Who has some dates on your calendar that are, are important to you already? A few of you, that's good. The rest of you are last-minute people that just fly by the seat of your pants. That's good, too. Makes life exciting, right? In some way, we have mapped out the year ahead. But Paul, as he's thinking about what's behind him, he was saying with confidence that I have finished my course. Friday night, or Friday morning, rather, I woke up with this amazing idea um, that I was going to do some renovations at our house. And you're like, renovations? It's only four years old. I'm like, I know. I got a problem, and uh, I need prayer. And so I told Brianna my plans. It was some things that we didn't do when we built that we'd wanted to do. And so we set out. Um, I, I worked till like two on Friday and then went down to Home Depot, which is Costco's here, Home Depot's here, um, just places that I love. So I went and bought some plywood and I was going to build some cabinets in the laundry room for Brianna. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I can knock this out tonight, no problem. Well, come 11 o'clock Friday night, I was about halfway done the project. And then woke up Saturday morning, had to go to the paint store. Has anybody bought paint recently? You know how expensive? I bought four gallons of paint and it was over $200. That's ridiculous for paint. I almost threw, the, the, threw my tools down and said, I'm done with this project. It's too expensive. But I pressed on and uh, at about eight last night, I finished cleaning up my tools and the project was completed. Brianna said to me, just, just wait, just finish it another time. I am the person, I have the personality that if I'm doing something, it's going to get done, regardless if it means that nobody in the house is going to sleep because I'm finishing my project. Do you have any unfinished projects from the year behind you? Probably we can all think of something. Things that we desired to accomplish, but we didn't quite make it. Frustrating, isn't it? To leave something unfinished, to leave a task uncompleted. For some people, it drives them crazy, and they'll push through uh, to meet a deadline, even if it's a deadline that they've set for themselves. But I wonder, as we think about this idea of finishing our course, we understand this from a, a physical realm of a project that we've wanted to complete. We understand this from maybe a work project that has been on our plate, and, and we just want to get these things done, to, to check them off our list. I love to-do lists, not because I like a lot to do, although Brianna would disagree with that. I do like to have a lot to do. But I love checking things off. And oftentimes, even if I have a to-do list going and something I did comes to my mind, but it wasn't on my list, guess what I'll do? I will write it on the list so I can check it off. Why? Because it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. And we all like to accomplish things. None of us like to have things that are unfinished. But I wonder today, as we think about a spiritual realm, did we finish our course for 2023? Maybe a, a better question to ask is, did we even have a course for 2023? For those of you who didn't raise your hand and you admitted that you just like to go through life flying by the seat of your pants, um, as much of a joke that is, I, I would say there's probably many of us in this room who approach our spiritual lives in the very same way. 
got no goals, got no plans. You know, whatever comes my way, I'll, I'll tackle it, I'll, I'll try it, I'll chip away at it. But if Paul, as Paul is, is writing these closing words of his life, and he makes this statement, I have finished my course, what does that give us understanding is, in is that there was a course to be finished. That, that God had a plan for him. That God had a purpose for him. That God desired for him to live with intention, not just in his personal life, but in his public life, in his ministry, with his friends, with his family. That God had, had given him a vision, so to speak, not in, a, in a, a spooky sort of way when you've had too much pizza before bed, but a vision as to what God wanted him to accomplish in his life. And Paul was boldly saying, I finished my course. And I wonder how many of us at the end of this year can look back over our lives and say, I finished my course. I used to try to read the Bible through once a year and about... January 15th, I'd give up because I already missed seven days, right, in two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And I'm, I'm quick to give up on my course. But what has God given me this year that he said, Dan, I want you to accomplish this? And have I accomplished it? Oh, we, we love the grace of God, don't we? I love the grace of God. It's like the best school teacher ever, always gives you a little extra time to finish the things that you were supposed to do. But we should never use God's grace as an excuse for not living for his purposes day in and day out. And as Paul thought over his life, he said, I have finished my course, that what God had called me to do, I have accomplished it, that what God had laid on my heart, I had made it a priority, that I didn't take the back seat in, in living for him, but I, I made him my number one goal. We've been trying to teach our kids this idea of, of ownership in their lives, not in a, a, an arrogant way, like this is mine, not yours, you can't have it, but ownership as in, as in stewarding, as the Bible would call it, that we steward or take ownership in the things that God has given us to use them for his glory, to do the best of our ability. And I think oftentimes, in life, we get discouraged when we're not the best. But do you know that God has never told us to be the best? He's told us to do our best. You don't have to be the best. Just do your best through the power of the Spirit of God. Determined to live for Him. And so, with our kids, it's, it's grades, right, at school. Um, it's a kid thing. As long as I'm passing, it doesn't really matter. Well, actually, it does matter, right? You can do the work, so do the work. Put your best effort in. We teach them this when it comes to our house, that God has given us a house to live in, and so what do we need to do? We need to steward it well. What does that mean? It means that we take care of the blessing that God has put into our lives by cleaning up that we don't leave the lights on. Our kids were enamored the other day when they realized that we have to pay every time we turn a light switch on. Like, that stuff doesn't come for free, guys. You wonder why I get so angry when every light in the house is on. I know it's a country song, but... Um, we're stewarding it well. Take ownership. 
And you know, a lot of us in life, we steward the things of the physical world really well, but we get pretty lax when it comes to the spiritual world. Why? Because people see this, the physical world. People at my job will understand if I'm next in line for a promotion or I'm next in line for being let go. And so what do we strive to do? We strive to work our hardest so that we can make a name for ourselves in this world. We, we steward physical things well, but Paul was not simply talking about physical things here. He was talking about spiritual things. He was talking about fighting a good fight and finishing the course that God had given him. Paul didn't let himself get distracted by lesser things than what God had put in front of him. Paul didn't didn't have ADHD, as I struggle with sometimes, but rather he was narrowly focused on the task that God had called him to. And I, I wonder today, as we think over our last year, did we steward well the course that God gave us? Where you are in your life is not a mistake. God has us where we are for a reason, at the place that we work, the neighborhoods that we live in, the community that we call our home. God has us there for a purpose. And I wonder, are we stewarding those things well so that when we look over our year, we can say, I have finished my course. God, the people that you have brought me to, I've shared your love with them. God, the trial that you, you've allowed to come into my life, I, I used it for your honor and for your glory. I wonder, as we come to the closing hours of 2023, are we going to finish the course that God gave us and be ready to move on to the next course? Or is all the work just going to keep piling up? Paul said he'd finished his course. He'd finished well. He'd finished strong. It doesn't mean that his life was easy. It doesn't mean that he always had everything he wanted. But it does mean he kept his priority the same thing, and that was to live for the honor and glory of God. One of the ways that Paul did this is to surround himself with people who were on the same mission that he was. Anybody like to, to do life with people that are walking in the same direction that you are. You cheer each other along. You, you applaud each other. I remember the one, the, the one time I was a runner, um, I, I ran a 5K down here in, uh, at the Collins Purley, and I hate running. Like, I, I, I just hate it. It's, it's of no use to me. I will say that publicly. I know it is, and I know there's some people that love running, and that's fine. You can love running. Love it for me, because I hate it. But as I ran that one 5K, do you know what I, I enjoyed the most about that? Was running with somebody side by side. Why? Because when I was winded and exhausted and tired, they spurred me on and said, hey, we're almost there. We're almost there. Just a little bit further. Just a little bit more. And when they were tired and winded, which didn't seem to happen until the end of the race for them, then with shortness of breath, I said, we're almost there, just a little bit more, right? But we, we encouraged each other along the way. And, and not everybody was on Paul's team. In verse 16 of, of 2 Timothy 4, he said, My first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. 
That sounds like a pretty horrible way to live. But if you jump down to verse number 19, what does he say? Salute Pris- uh, Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. And who were Priscilla and Aquila? Two companions of Paul that encouraged him, that helped him make a living, that helped him grow in his understanding of who God was and what God was doing. And Paul says, yeah, Alexander, he he did me wrong, and the Lord will take care of that. And at, at first, nobody stood with me. But then there was these two people that really stuck out. And they encouraged me to take the next step when I did not want to take the next step. Friends, do you know why, and I wish everybody was here this morning, but do you know why your church family is important? Because they're the ones who spur you along to take the next step when you don't feel like moving forward. You want to quit on your Christian life? Then quit on church. People say, oh, I can be a Christian and and not go to church. And you know what? There's, there's an element of that that is true. But I will also say this, that if you quit on church, you will eventually quit on Christ. You say, well, that's not true. The church, the church has done me wrong. You think the church has done Christ wrong? But what, is, what does the Bible say? That he loved it. And he gave himself for it. Why? So that he could redeem it and and give it to the Father as a a chosen vessel of honor and glory. And so as Paul is thinking about his life, he said, "I, I have finished my course, the thing that God has called me to do. I have done it. And how did he do it? By surrounding himself with others who were on the same mission. Friend, you you are not alone in this Christian life. There are people in this room who are facing the very same things that you are facing. Maybe if we talked about our struggles in life a little more, we'd find more support in our lives. But there's this element of Christianity that we want everyone to think we're perfect. Guess what? I'm not perfect. I struggle. I struggle at times to to read my Bible and pray. Anybody else ever struggle with that? Do you know what I need? I need somebody to come along like Priscilla and Aquila and say, hey, how are you doing in this thing? Not with judgment as they look down their nose at me, but with love and concern for my life spiritually. And I should be doing the same for them. He finished his course. We won't turn there, but I would encourage you to to jot down Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 38. This is as Paul is getting ready to leave the elders at Ephesus, and he's talking to them about all that God had done in him and through him and for them. And he he tells them a couple of things that really stuck out to me. First off, Paul says, I'm leaving, and I'm not sure if I'm going to see you again. And these people loved Paul dearly. Actually, at the end of this passage, the Bible says that these people are crying. Why? Not because of of Paul's trials in life, but they were fearful they weren't going to see him again. They loved him. Paul loved them. Paul says, I'm getting ready to leave and go to a new place, to Jerusalem. And Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I do know this, that the Spirit has told me that in every place I go, there will be bonds and imprisonments and trials. And what does he say? But none of these things move me. 
None of these things moved me. Why? Because he was going bound by the Spirit into Jerusalem. He knew that trials and bonds and imprisonments were waiting him there, but Paul was already a bondservant to somebody else who deserved his, his, his service. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he's leaving this group of men, as they're weeping, as they're hugging each other, as they're thinking over all that God had done, what does Paul say? He says, I'm, I'm walking and I, I'm walking away or I'm getting ready to sail away and I am free from the blood of all men. What does that mean? It means that Paul didn't kill anybody. No, it's not what it means. It means that Paul was leaving that place with an understanding that he had proclaimed the gospel to the best of his ability. That he had finished the course that God had for, them, for him in that place. That he was leaving with confidence, knowing that he had completed the task that God had given him. And so, friend, I would ask us today, have we finished our course? <laughs> the, the hard thing about the Christian life is it's not like college where you get to choose your course. Your course is chosen for you. But you know what's comforting in that? It's that the one who chooses the course makes no mistakes. That what he has chosen for you, though you might not like it at times, and though it may be more than you can bear, you know it's hard, painful. It's chosen for you by the God whom James says is the God who gives good gifts. And I would ask us today, are we stewarding the course that God has given us well? Can we say as a church on this last Sunday of 2023 that we as a church have finished strong? Do you know how we can say that as a church? When we as individual, individual Christians can say with confidence that we have finished strong. So Paul says he fought a good fight. He said he finished his course. And then finally this morning, Paul says he kept the faith. <laughs> Keep the faith. This age-old Christian saying is often said without giving it much thought. To keep the faith doesn't mean to hope that all things will work out how you want them to, but it means that regardless of the outcome, you will move forward believing that God is perfect. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. It almost has this idea of, of, of offense and defense, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm keeping this, and in keeping this, I'm able to move forward because of it. In, in keeping this or holding this, it has an idea almost of this, this idea that it's a precious thing to hold on to. And can we agree today that the faith that was delivered to us by Jesus Christ, that was preached to us by Paul, that was ministered to us by the Spirit of God and that we read about in the Word of God is indeed a precious faith? And so we need to keep it, not keep it to ourselves as in hoarders where we hold on to everything and, and never let anything go, but keeping it 
because we value it, keeping it because we understand that in reality it's the most precious thing that God has given us in this life. Keep the faith. As we say, Paul's life was certainly not a walk in the park. He faced trials upon trials, but his faith in God was resilient. He didn't believe in God because things always went his way, but he believed in God and and it kept him moving forward even when things were from a fleshly perspective falling apart all around him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 28, the Bible says, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice was I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without. That which cometh upon me. Daily, the care of all the churches. You think Paul had a hard life? That's a snapshot of some of the things that he went through. How did he make it through? He kept the faith. He kept believing. So for another song reference, don't stop believing. He kept believing. And what is it that he believed? That that if he did good, God was going to give him good? Absolutely not. It's that he believed that, that as he followed God, God in some sense would provide for every step of his way, but it did not mean that everything was going to go according to God's plan. And don't we hate it when things don't go according to plan? We have one kid in particular who... It's got to be by the book. If it's not by the book, it's no good for anyone. Anybody else have a kid like that? Anybody else want to admit that you are like that? We don't like it when things fall apart. We don't like it when things don't go as we think they should go. But one of the ways we can ensure that we will keep the faith is remembering that though things don't go the way we think they should go, they always go the way God has determined for them to go. And in that, there is great comfort. He kept the faith. He he did not quit. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11, the Bible says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Do you know why, church family, God may allow you to go through some of the most horrendous things that you could ever imagine? So that the life of Christ could shine through you. 
You say, that's not a God I want to serve. Well, that's the God of the Bible. How could Paul say that that he was troubled but not distressed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed? It's because he believed there was a God who was in control at all times, who was working all things together for good, even if it didn't seem good. And how is it that a man like Paul, who, who... was so far from Christ at the beginning of his life as he martyred and killed and imprisoned Christians could then turn and become this man who was passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where he was willing to die for it. Because his faith was genuine. Because God changed his life. And Paul submitted to that change regardless of what it brought into his life. And then we won't turn there, but Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, Paul's greatest desire was that Christ would be magnified when? In life or in death. Again, some of you in this room and some of those who can't be in this room today because of the situations they're in in this life, I have, I have been deeply encouraged and convicted by your testimonies through the things you've faced because you've determined that you're going to keep the faith. I think it was Friday night. I went down to the hospital to see Fabian, and um, they thought he was having another stroke, and it was like, I don't know, 9.30 when I left, and I got there. And here's a man who had a stroke back in September, had a heart attack, triple bypass surgery, and I was facing all these complications and hopefully today is able to go home. And you know what he said as I stood by his bed? I'm just so thankful for Jesus. Why? Because he understood that, that Jesus was the one who was getting him through. That regardless of If the heart attack or the stroke or any other complication took his life, guess what? He lived in hope. So what does that mean? He could die in hope. And what's the song we sang just before? I was going to say a few minutes ago, but it's been longer than a few minutes. What's our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Kept the faith. Paul kept the faith. He he believed that Life was worth living for Christ because one day eternity would be spent with Christ. He, he kept the faith in verse 1 because he believed judgment was coming. He kept the faith in verse 8 because he believed eternity was real and that what we do now will impact the then. Not in saying that we work for our salvation, but because we are saved, who should we work for? The Lord Jesus Christ. He kept the faith in verse 18 because he believed that God had a plan in all things and at all times. And this included his deliverance. And though it wasn't a physical deliverance in the moment that he was going through a trial, Paul understood that deliverance was coming one day as he was ushered from this life full of pain and toil and trial and difficulty. And he was delivered to go where? To see Jesus face to face. That he would see 
both the author and the finisher of his faith. And this is why he says in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Friend, keep the faith. Why? Because eternity is real. Keep the faith. Because there's a world who is watching to see how we respond and how we react and the way that we handle ourselves in this life. Keep the faith. Because it encourages your brothers and sisters in Christ and God will use the trial that you go through to minister to them in their time of need. Bruce went down to see Fabian on Christmas Day and he was able to share some of the things that he went through. And do you know what Fabian said when I saw him? I was encouraged by the stories of others. Why? Because your testimony... When you live a life for Christ, your testimony speaks louder than any words you could ever say. Keep the faith. So I would ask you this morning as we, we come to the end of the service, have you kept the faith? I'm still in church. That's not what I'm asking. Have you kept the faith? There are many people in church on an average Sunday who are not keeping the faith. They go through the motions. They've lost a genuine belief that God loves them. And their church attendance oftentimes becomes this plea with God to get something from God. Their Christian service is nothing more than them trying to bargain with God to, to make their life a little easier. Friend, God never promised that life was going to be easy. But you know what He did promise? He promised that we would never walk it alone. And though your life might not be going the way you hoped it would or thought it should or planned it out to be, keep the faith because there is a God who is working all things together for good. In 2025, um, Brianna and I will hit 20 years of marriage. And to you guys, that doesn't seem like much, some of you anyways. And do you know, as, as we... As young kids, literally young kids, 19 and 20 years old, said our vows on June 4th, we had it all figured out. We knew what life was going to look like. We knew, in part, where we were going to live. We knew what our ministry was going to look like. We thought we knew each other. And after all these years, you know what I've determined? That I knew nothing. But do you know who did? God. Do you know who knew that we would be 
in St. Albans, Vermont? God did. Do you know who knew that we would have four kids, each with their own personalities and struggles? God did. Do you know who knew that you would be here as a part of our church family? God did. God did. And so if God knew all of this stuff, why would I put my faith in anything else but Him? Keep the faith. Keep the faith. So as we close this morning, believer, I ask you this simple question. Are you ending 2023 with confidence? I don't know if you stay up late. It seems like the nights I want to go to bed early, I stay up late, and the nights I want to stay up late, I end up falling asleep on the couch. I just, somebody said it has to do with getting old, but I just always remind myself of this. I'm not as old as my wife. just going to leave it there. <laughs> but as you close your eyes tonight, at the end of a year, and I know there's nothing significant about one year going to the next. But there is something that, that causes us to think towards new beginnings. And so as we close the year tonight, can you say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And in those areas where things didn't go as you hoped they would and, and maybe you weren't as faithful as you could have been or should have been, as a believer, will you determine to learn from what's behind you so that you can make the year ahead of you a year for the glory of God? Maybe you got off course this year. Start again tomorrow. Actually, start again right now and determine that you'll live for His glory and His glory alone. For those of us here today, or for those of you here today who are not believers, I wonder, would you let this last day of 2023 be, be the year or be the day, or be the moment where you give yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You say, what is the gospel? You, I hear of it often. Well, in the words of Paul, it's simply this in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which simply means good news, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. And so it's the gospel that saves us as we understand it, as we bring ourselves in submission to it through the power of the Spirit. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And so there has to be a genuineness in believing the gospel, not just saying a trite phrase or, or repeating a prayer after somebody else, but a genuineness that you understand what the gospel says is true. And what does the gospel say? That Christ died for our sins. So what does that mean? We're all sinners. You can never be saved until you first understand you're a sinner. Christ died for sins. The, the one who is sinless became the payment for sin so that those who had sinned could could become free from their sin. Would you believe that Christ died for sins, not according to Paul's words, but according to the Scriptures? That He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, 
according to the scriptures. Would you believe? Do you believe? Would you recognize what God says of you? That you're a sinner who needs a Savior? And would you understand today that there's only one name by which men are saved? And it's the name of Jesus. As Paul was walking down the road to Damascus and that bright light shone from heaven, knocked him on the ground. In that moment, he came under submission to Christ. From that time on, his life was forever changed. Friends, if we have believed, may our lives forever be changed as we live for his glory so that we can boldly say, I fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And as we close this last service of 2023 out with a song, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, as we sing, would you make your way to the back? Would you let me show you through the word of God how you can be saved? That in spite of all that you've done, there's a God who desires to rescue and redeem you and make you his child. What a gift that is. What a way to start a new year.